Revolting is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 74. When you lose your body, your mind is close behind. Content warning this is a podcast for immature adults. If you're not well adjusted enough to chuckle at a fart joke, you should probably go back to one of your NPR podcasts that you like. We're not going to make you smarter here. We're going to use bad words, so take a hike. Beat it. Uh, good morning, Robot. We were just having a real bring-me-down conversation just <laughs> just before we hit record. I think we were both feeling okay. And uh, and then <laughs> we, we, went, we went so dark so quick. Yeah, it's like you, you were like, oh, I've got a, I've been, I've had a cold for two months. And then all of a sudden we were talking about old people shitting themselves at casinos. <laughs> It went, it went south so fast. It's uh, it's yeah, and so like the we're, the fact that we're talking the today's topic is, uh, losing your body or and or your mind. Yeah. It wasn't intentional that we went that direction, but uh, here we are. Well, yeah, uh, and we'll get to it in a minute. But this is a re- uh, listener suggested topic, and I wonder if they suggested it because they understand that it's an active process in both of our lives, where we are both breaking down physically and mentally all the time. Maybe the revolting podcast, the seventy now seventy four hours leading up to this point are just some sort of like sociological documentation of the deterioration uh, of the middle-aged man or just or just the middle-aged person i mean I, I do think that it's no accident that women live longer uh because women are smarter i mean that's like uh, i think that that seems factual <laughs> that's that's scientifically quantifiable uh uh, and and also, you know, we're we're sort of victims of our own excess and our vic- and victims of our own um, uh, poor judgment. I think individually, I'm not going to speak for all uh, four and a half billion men on the planet, but I I think that's pretty safe to say in general. Yeah. The other night, this now let's veer <laughs> away from data into anecdote. The other night, I uh, went to the movies. I saw everything everywhere all at once for a second time mm. in the theater because I loved it so much. Such a banger. And while I was there, I ate a box of Mike and Ike's, which is inadvisable. Uh, the serving size on movie theater candy is not okay. It's too much. It, but, but, then, but it's so delicious, right? And that's funny because is, last night I ate a whole bag of uh, double gummy worms all to my own head for no reason. Wow. <clears throat> They're so, they taste so good, they must be good for you. Fruity and vitamin C. Yeah, your body just calls out, give me that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I ate the box of Mike and Ike's, and then we got out of the movie, and it was early-ish, and we hadn't eaten, so we are like, oh, let's go get some tacos. Uh, so we go to get tacos, and I was like, oh, I'll get the fish tacos. That's a healthy choice. But instead, I got the carnitas chimichanga, which is a which is a deep-fried burrito. And I ordered it, and uh, my wife, Brittany, uh, looked at me, and she's like, what did you just do? And I was like, I ordered the chimichanga. And she was like, why did you do that? And I was like, I... I don't know. I just feel like if there is a chimichanga, you should get you the chimichanga. You should get the chimichanga. It, it's just nature. Yeah. I mean, it's burritos. Like it orders itself. Burritos are it's great. It's like my mouth makes fish tacos. My <laughs> mouth goes fish tacos, but chimichanga comes out. <laughs> burritos are great. And what 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 would be a way to make a burrito better? Deep fry it. Of course. Yeah, deep fry it for sure. 
Uh, and you know what? It wasn't even a good one. I don't um, believe that. I don't think there's any such thing as a not a good chimichanga. There might be a not as great as a normal chimichanga chimichanga, which is also very fucking good. Well, that's what I mean. Right. In the, in the land of chimichangas, and I realize now that we've swung all the way from old people shitting themselves at casinos <laughs> to what makes a good chimichanga. <laughs> but you can get those... Um, <laughs> you can get those dry or wet, usually, uh -huh. chimichanga. You bet. This place, he didn't ask, and I would always say wet. Yeah. But well, it was dry. I mean, if you can get anything with sauce... Like sauce is, uh, sauce is epic. It's an epic uh, a addition to any any food. Well, what's funny about that is the only reason we went to this place instead of the uh, taco place we normally go to is because my son said, "Oh, we should go there." And I was like, "I don't think it's as good." And he said, "But they have this baller ass sauce." <laughs> so we were actually only in the place because of this. <clears throat> Baller ass sauce, which turned out to just be, I think, chipotle mayo. Your son's a honky. He doesn't know what baller he, ass sauce is. He has no idea. That is a <laughs> factual statement. Is this the one that sat on the ketchup packet? It is the same. The one and the same. Man, I'm t I'm telling you that the beginning of that episode and the whole like the cadence of the storytelling and everything. I've listened <laughs> to it. Oh, what episode was that? Seventy one, I guess. 71, uh, so, yeah, maybe 71. I've listened to that a number of times, and it's, it made me laugh as hard each time. And then I also then reflect on the story about, I don't even remember what it was, but farting for a living. And you said something oh. about, like, you know, if you do... <laughs> so that story... <laughs> I don't, yes. I don't even remember I... how it goes. I think it's amazing that you remember that particular thing, because when I listened to the thing that you listened to, I also thought about that thing, which never stops being funny to me. What happened was, for a, a short period at the beginning of this whole project, I was sending you uh, website URLs. I would look up if a, if a domain name was available, and it would be like, um, you know, donkey donkeynuts.com or .org or whatever and at one point I sent you fartcarnival.org and you said to me I think you were not amused by these things I don't remember but you were like what are we doing here why are you why am I looking at fartcarnival.org and I was like well they're busy each one is a business idea and maybe fartcarnival.org is a place where you go for all your fart related <laughs> content and you were and you said I don't think that's a business or maybe you know I would stop loving farts as much and I said yeah it's usually a bad idea to turn your passion into your livelihood that's what See. happened <laughs> <laughs> I don't even I don't even remember the specifics and I'm listening to that other episode and I'm laughing just because I remember laughing so hard, so hard at this other thing <laughs> it's so just, fucked up it's like a little kid that like bumps his head and then he cries because he bumps his head and then later on looks at the place that he bumps his head and starts crying again <laughs> it's like that except it's just these like it's these ghosts of you know, I remember laughing, so that made me laugh. Ghosts of belly laughs? <gasps> oh, man. Well, I think this whole thing where we, um, just to, just to like, bring it full circle and tie the, tie a bow on it, I think that this thing where we go back and listen to funny shit we said <laughs> is a little bit... <laughs> so, so self-congratulatory. It, it's so, like, loving the smell of your own farts. <laughs> But it is funny. I mean, and I don't. Uh, it's, I listened to it three times. It's I, I loved it. It's weird to laugh at your. I don't. I don't. <laughs> we're laughing at our own jokes, you know, and that's obnoxious as fuck. I I can't stand that. But there's something about. I don't know. You 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 put this thing in like a little time capsule, and you don't think about it. You don't reflect on it. You have no idea what it's going to be like, and then it comes out, and it's sort of like uh regenerated in this whole new it has this whole new flavor or this whole new vibration or whatever and 
I mean, that was, just, I don't know. I was just, I was out of my mind that day and probably low blood sugar or whatever. So it's just, shit's funny. <laughs> I mean, I think it benefits, and this ties into today's topic as well, is that I don't have any short-term memory. So you and I talk for an hour and we send our sound files off and Patrick makes them into this package. Time passes. I eat sandwiches and watch TV shows and stuff. And then the podcast comes out a week or two later and I'm like, oh, I should listen to the podcast so I can understand if it was any good. Like what you, sh you know, I should just listen so that I'm constantly uh, maybe getting better at this. No luck. And because I have forgotten everything that we said, yeah. every funny thing is now funny again. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I my Pete, my friend Pete uh, told me about his grandfather uh, was in the early stages of Alzheimer's, um, and his <clears throat> his dad was a dentist, and he he made uh, multiple copies of this comic strip that had I don't know it was some like dental humor or something, whatever it was like. That not, isn't necessarily the important part of the story, but he had the stack of the same comic strip sitting on the table and, and Pete's grandfather walked in and sat down and had a cup of coffee and he read the first comic strip and he laughed and laughed and then he put that down and then he read the next one, which was the same one as the first one. And he, <laughs> laughed, and he laughed and laughed and then he put that one down and he looked at the third one, which was the same as the first and second one. And he laughed and laughed. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was sad that his, grandfather's mind was going but it was also kind of encouraging that you know uh he found such joy in the exact same thing because his short-term memory was was so yeah. addled that's hilarious because my other son at dinner last night said oh so this guy walks into the doctor and the doctor says mr mr smith i have some i have two pieces of terrible news the first one is that you have alzheimer's the second one is, I'm afraid you have cancer, too. And the guy says, Whew, well, at least I don't have Alzheimer's. It's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> that's, not, that's not awesome. That's not awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, now that we, we're super psyched about how psyched we are. Uh, yes. Let's get on with today's stuff. Starting music off picks. with the music pick of the week. I, you are looking at my music pick, but I have changed it since I wrote it. I have a new one with a good story. So my pick this week is a German noise rock band called Trigger Cut. Uh, they have a record that just came out December 2022 called Soot, S-O-O-T. But here's the story with Trigger Cut. I, I discovered them literally this morning. There was an article in The Guardian, uh, which is what I read for news, I don't know why, that this German, they call them German punk band, gets turned back at British border because, uh, well, it's basically a Brexit issue. Like, if you were a band in Europe prior to Brexit, you could just go to the UK and play a bunch of shows because they had freedom of movement. Now Brexit change the rules so these german this german three-piece uh band goes they have a seven uh date tour booked in the uk and basically british uh border agents sent them back so they had all this money sunk in travel they had driven from stuttgart all this stuff and they couldn't do their tour so you know that's stupid i mean that's just stupid but um then I was like, oh, well, German punk band, I wonder what they sound like. Normally, like 99 times out of 100, uh, anything a, a major paper calls a punk band is going to be like, not that. Mm -hmm. um, but, so I dialed up Trigger Cut, they're, all, they're on Bandcamp, and they fucking rule. They're like a mix between shellac and meat wave. Ooh, I like both of those bands. Yeah. Okay. I was I was really surprised. Like I I fired it up and the first couple riffs or uh, chords came out. And I was like, okay, this is promising. And then I was like, <clears throat> oh my god, this is the shit. 
Uh, so I That's listened exciting. to that whole record, and then I listened to one of their other records, and it is solid. Do they so, have uh, Do they have physical uh, music available on the Trigger Cut Bandcamp site? I don't know. I know you can buy the digital albums. I don't know if you can buy the vinyl. Okay. Well, that's exciting. It's really fun to, uh, and, and uh, kind of infrequent that a band falls in your lap like that, you know? Like, that's, that's awesome. It is. And I think, I mean, I think the subtext or the post-text or the whatever to this article. So the article is like, well, these guys are out a ton of money that they invested in going on tour that they can't now go on. But they've got an article written about them in The Guardian, which has this massive circulation. So actually, they probably are going to end up with more publicity from The Guardian article than they would have from the tour. Right. So I'm going to spend money on them. Hopefully people uh, that are hearing my voice right now are going to go check them out and maybe buy one of their records. I'm going um, to. I mean, any any artist or, or somebody, anybody who has a creative output that gets um, uh, stymied by something as stupid as Brexit, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support them in whatever way I can, yeah. for, you know, because it, I mean, I'm on their team. I am on their team. And, but I got to say, if they had sucked, I would not have been, I would have been maybe on the bench on their team. I would have maybe not been a starter, but, uh, I'm definitely on their team because it's a good, it is good music. They, they sing in English, which I don't, I don't really get, but they do. And it's accentless English. It's not like, uh, I think it would be hilarious if it was German accented English, but it's uh, really good. You would think you're listening to, you would be, think you're listening to a Chicago band. I listened to Meatwave again this morning or yesterday. And I just, I'm just, fluxumed i'm befuddled <laughs> at how fucking good they are i just you know i got to see them when they opened for plosives uh last what fall whenever yep. that was yep and uh and i listened to them frequently up to that point but have you know their last record came out and i mean i know we're not talking about that band in particular right now but good lord they're just amazing and it's one of those bands that every time you listen to it it's better it's which a little is, deeper that's rare by yeah. itself yeah uh okay what are they called trigger cut trigger cut make note of it investigate support and uh good for them i'm glad that uh you know in the five people that listen to this uh they might take your recommendation to heart as well um, again, sort of the inverse of a German punk band, noise rock band. Uh, I started listening to, I think it's the Kink's first album uh, called The Kink Controversy, uh, spelled with a K, both words. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, <clears throat> I guess it could be argued that the, that this record is kind of the prototype of all garage, garage rock uh, from that point forward. Uh, and you can listen to it. It's sort of one of those records, not unlike my Elvis Costello pick last episode. Uh, it's, it's kind of um, it timeless. Like you listen to it and it could be, you know, it could be some band from 2015 that was just playing the same kind of music that they were playing in 1965. Uh, it, you know, it's jangle. It's a little jangly. Uh, it's real toe tappy. Um, and I don't feel like the kinks really get a, a fair nod in terms of their overall influence. Um, I think that's true. I think they're a band that sort of gets lost behind a couple of their hits. Later hits. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, that's what the 70s, uh, late 70s, I guess they got, you know, that was when I first heard of them, but I didn't know that they had a 15 year career before that. 
Right. Like if you've heard "Come Dancing," uh, you're like, "Oh yeah, the the Kinks. They're they're cute." Yeah. But actually, that has almost nothing to do with the first. <laughs> I don't know half dozen records. There are a few more. bands that I feel like the eight, the late seventies and the early eighties did a real disservice to. You know, I, I just I didn't like ZZ Top. Um, yep. Because they were. A sharp dressed man, you know, or whatever the fuck, like all the like the MTV hits, right? Boring. <clears throat> and then, you know, at some point in the nineties, uh, I think what was it? Is it uh, Trace Hombres? Uh, Trace Hombres, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott Berg and Robert Ives, and I listened to that almost exclusively as we drove the Ventana van from Sacramento, California, to Las Vegas for the dirt first. Uh, dirt demo and I was totally blown away by content by content it was so <laughs> good it's so good you know and I was like I didn't I didn't know because I, why would I investigate and Bob Seeger is the same way like Bob Seeger the shit that the Bob Seeger solution it was is that what it was the Bob Seeger solution did in the mid to late 60s was bitching amazing but i didn't know that until you know i was well out of high school that everything before the silver bullet band and the <laughs> chevy uh, television Against advertisements and the wind like a rock and all that stuff like i don't care yeah. about any of that that's that's the shit that like old people listen to but then you go back even further to the roots and it's, it's amazing well, this that goes along with my general view that almost any band I like, I like their first and second records better than their fourth and fifth or or this other stuff. Because once a band, and I I, I know it's the hardest thing to do, like they they make their music and people like it, and they're like, oh, I like when people like my music, so I'm gonna make more like that or. Right. Or people like their first thing so much that they're going to invest the time in whatever crazy idea they have next. I don't know. I just feel like the urgency goes out of it. Maybe the band is kind of like pandering to try to have success. Right. Well, I, I remember having a conversation with uh, uh, my friend Matt played drums in a Kansas City sort of noise punk band called... Uh, they were called Germbox, and then they became Quitters Club. Uh, but they were from Kansas City, and there was a big Kansas City Lawrence music boon. And yeah. um, we were they were on tour, and we were hanging out. We were on the on a beach somewhere, and we we're talking about Pa uh, from Lawrence, Kansas, had just signed. They had like a seven inch, or maybe two seven inches out at this time. And they signed this million dollar contract with Sony. And we're talking about what do you do? Like, how does it, how's the creative output affected when you are just paid to write songs about writing songs? So like before you were writing songs about living and struggling and being hungry. And, and now you're just, you're just paid to, to write. Yeah, I, well, there's nothing else to do. That's your job. Your job becomes um be being a musician so then you start writing songs about being a musician and you know there's something i fucking hate this whole idea but there's something very valuable about being hungry in in the creative drive that's definitely why i've not pursued success <laughs> <laughs> same <laughs> yeah yeah i'm devoted to my art which is why uh I don't know. It's we've talked about this before. I've always, you know, I've always said uh, the creative process is um, found f f sort of a foundational aspect of the creative process is evolution, and you can't if you can't evolve if you're being if you're being paid for what you do now. It, it it's yeah. it's possible, but you know, just because critics or my audience or whatever like what I'm doing now that doesn't mean that I'm going to be doing the same thing in 15 years. But because this has now become my bread and butter, how does that affect the natural evolution? Uh, some people, you know, succeed and some, some don't. I can tell you 
100% that if I wrote something that someone was like, that's the best thing ever, I'll give you a million dollars. I would spend a lot of time trying to write the same thing again, but with different words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not better than them. It's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I don't, I don't envy anybody who's in that position. I mean, I envy the comfort and I envy the, the, the freedom and flexibility, but also, you know, I, I know what drives me and I know what inspires me and I know what keeps me making. And if I was suddenly comfortable, I think that would, that would uh, shift a little bit. I don't know. It's an interesting topic to me though. I mean, I think it dovetails. Uh, let's let, we should take a quick break before we launch into it. But I think all of this dovetails with today's topic. So let's okay. hear from our sponsorial uh, friends and we'll come back. Oh, hey, it's Storytime with steve About three years ago, Shimano tapped me to join a group of people they were calling the Gravel Alliance. Essentially, this was a group of people who were going to ride and test the GRX gravel group. We're going to do races around the country and rides and have light influence on design and engineering and research and development tweaks that needed to be done before it went to market. Uh, On the surface, this was just an opportunity to ride bikes and to meet this amazing group of personalities and even to take a peek behind the curtain and learn a little bit more about Shimano as a company. Uh, but on the underneath, I learned more about myself and my own self-worth than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, the whole thing was really brilliant, and I understand that's not exactly what they had in mind when they asked me to sign on, but uh, that was a byproduct, and I will forever be in Shimano's debt because of it. And we're back. And we are back. What are we doing today? Uh, today's topic comes from us, comes to us from a listener named Oliver. Uh, he says, quote, we all get injured doing what we like most. This is true. Uh, I am, in parentheses, he is, recovering from a broken ankle and waiting to get back on the bike, which is tough, as we both know. Uh, what have we done in the time away from the bike? Started new hobbies, which ones, done other activities, fixing, upgrading our bikes, rolled up in a fetal position and cried until it was all okay again. What? Yes. To all of those things. Mostly the fetal position and the crying. Man, it sucks. Like I, knock on wood, but I have had, I've had one pretty catastrophic well, it was all, it was an entire year. Um, I, in 2015, I kind of zigged when I ordinarily zagged and just did a easy step off on the side of the trail, landed on a, the hillside and did a full 45 degree lateral hyperextension of my right leg, <laughs> which tore my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus. And, and so that was all told with um, physical therapy and everything. I was on crutches. And of course, when you tear your ACL, they don't do surgery right away because they need the swelling to go down. So I was laid up and I was off a bike for the most part for about 10 months. And then I was on a ride and I rode over this little exposed culvert on this hillside that I've ridden over of dozens and dozens of times and my rear wheel washed out hit the metal and slipped and I ditched the bike and I landed in this ivy and I was kind of sitting there holding my knee like ooh, god you know I felt a little pinch did I do it again god I hope I didn't fucking do it again and my friend Marty comes down and he's like oh man are you okay and he gets in front of me and he's like holy fuck and I look and where this culvert had been tied together under the ivy there was these two uh, steel plates and I landed on these two steel plates and got this massive d- double laceration on my right calf so I was back to the ER uh, got stitched up 
got cellulitis, which is like a skin blood infection. I was back in the ER after that. And then after that, I like a month and a half later, I got uh, shingles. And so I was fucked for a year, but I felt like this total imposter syndrome. Like I'm the bike guy. I'm the skateboard guy. I'm like, who the fuck am I? If I, what do I write about? What do I talk about? What do I promote? What do I, how do I maintain this business when I'm, stuck on a sofa i think there are i think there are two tracks to this there's there's one track where your identity is bound up in this stuff and yeah you hatch in pot like well who the fuck even am i now that yeah. i can't do these things so that's one track and the other track is that i depend on day-to-day activity in order not to lose my fucking mind so almost within like I broke my collarbone a couple years ago and even while I was laying on the ground with my collarbone still broken I was like oh no like this is gonna fuck me up day to day because I'm so dependent on what physical activity does for me mentally Mm -hmm. it's almost like so I'm medicated for depression and I've tried not to be uh, and it doesn't work Uh, so I'm medicated for depression. It's so when I'm injured, it's almost like someone just took my prescription away and was like, good luck. (laughs) It's wild how reliant we become on dopamine, you know? And it's just like, that's just, that's just a daily thing. And it get your, your, your hormones get all upset. I got, I crashed when I was a messenger. And I separated some ribs in my back. And it was the first time I hadn't been on a bike. I hadn't been physically active in years. And I remember sitting on my sofa and Johnny Mosley had just won the gold in the mogul competition in the Olympics. And I was sobbing. (gasps) And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, you're like, Johnny, we did it. You're bringing it home, Johnny. I just, just inconsolable. I was so happy for him, but I was so, I was just like out of my mind. You know, uh, it's, it, it, you, you have a, it's almost like you're detoxing, you know? Um, it, I don't know. I I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is. Some people seem to manage it pretty well and other people go completely off the rails. When I, when I did my collarbone, so I was, I did my collarbone like just on a nothing. Like I went over the handlebars cause I got my front wheel caught on something that i've been over a million times it's just the dumbest thing right and i was supposed to it that was like a week before i was supposed to do some race so i was really disappointed but i was so this was near the beginning of the pandemic and i had like i left my job right at the beginning of the pandemic and i had gone fucking all in on riding running everything i was just like uh full tilt in a mania in a mania of like outdoor activity and so i broke my collarbone and i was in a sling and i was going to be in the sling for weeks and weeks and weeks about five five six weeks and i think i laid around feeling sorry for myself for five or six days but my brain was I was in like a fever of panic and I was like, I got to do something. And then I started doing, I started, I would get the dog in the morning and I would leash him. It's amazing how hard it is to hold the leash with your left hand when you're right handed, but I would get him with the, and we would go and I would do 10 miles a day with him every day. And that was my thing. I was just like, I'm going to walk 10 miles a day with, with the dog and that's it. And I did that for a while until I could do some other things. But I had to do that. I felt I had to do that. It's, I mean, just the, the when you're so used to moving, the, just the, the minor act of doing anything. I remember the first time I walked without crutches and I felt so free. You know, you felt it was like almost Johnny like Mosley had just won. <laughs> I felt as fit as I'd ever felt just because I was walking without these additional apparatus. You know, mm. I could 
I could take a shit and bend both my knees. I didn't need the extendo toilet seat. Yeah, Did you have these. an extendo? I couldn't sit down. Oh. Yeah, for sure. I had a chair in the shower. It sucked, dude. And it was oh. so hard on my ex because she was like forcing me to be down. I kicked my crutch at one point in this frenzy. I kicked my crutch and fell down, broke both my toes, <laughs> uh, two metal toes on my right foot. And she's just like, dude, stop, stop. But I couldn't, it was probably, that was probably the beginning of the end for us because I was such, I was such a piece of shit in terms of like just sitting still and taking care of myself. Uh, and I couldn't let her do it. You know, it fucking sucked. I, I hated, I hated being injured. I was talking to my neighbor, who's a good friend of mine, uh, just yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about mental health, and I was saying, uh, you know, my wife has been going through a bunch of stuff lately, so she's, I've been the supportive one, you know, and th this is it, right? Like, you, it's give and take in a relationship, but mm -hmm. um, you also realize at some point that, <clears throat> like, early on in our relationship, before I got, had my depression assessed and evaluated and treated and all that stuff i was f i was a hard person to be around consistently and it was all on her and i was like i said to him i think you know the thing with partners and and mental health problems is you can count on them for support like you deserve support from the person you're in a relationship with but you also have to do the other pieces that aren't just a pep talk from your partner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't put it all on them. Right. I had to... She was going to continue to be there for me, but I had to get treatment and therapy and all this shit uh, to even out the burden. And then... Mm -hmm. And, you know... And this is the thing about you take the physical activity out. I always talk about them like they're levers. Like I have medication. So that's one lever I pull in order not to lose my mind. But then there's physical activity. And I always have like anxiety about injuries uh, that for this exact reason, because it's as important as the meds I take. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and the relationship it's, is just as important. Right. So it's like they're my all relationship very, has to be right. My yeah, they're building blocks. And, and yeah. it's, it's all, you know, you take one of those things out and the whole structure gets teetery. Yeah. So, yeah, they're all uh, equally important to focus on and maintain and take care of. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. And I don't think that I, you know, none of this really was very clear to me. Uh, even five years ago, uh, weird to, you know, be at a point in my life where I feel like I'm a grown up and I should know stuff. And then I, something as obvious as this uh, is, is not only able for me to articulate and understand, but to explain to other people or to, you know, it, like with my words to myself or to people around me. I don't know what you just said. I don't, I do. That's <laughs> yeah, all yeah, that's no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like to be able to like feel and articulate these things is shocking. Dan, but I mean, it's tangible. It makes sense. It makes sense. Whereas it wasn't yeah. even, the picture wasn't even uh clear not not so very long ago um what so you know doing things to back to kind of the the question uh luckily you know i i have a whole art life so i couldn't ride and i couldn't ride a skateboard i couldn't ride a bike i couldn't fucking walk across the house without breaking my toes but i had a studio and i had uh projects to work on and there was one drawing i started it was this woman standing on this spit of sand it's all water around her but and she's got this kind of funny uh expression on her face and so this project was going to be i was going to draw every single grain of sand that she was standing on and it wasn't sand they were like small pebbles they were like uh, aquarium rocks and i drew tiny little overlapping rocks for months and that was going to be, you know, that was the thing that I was going to work on. And that was going to be meditation. And that was going to be my, you know, completion project. And it's rolled up. It's in Oakland. I haven't looked at it, you know, since. But um, 
Sure, man. I mean, <clears throat> uh, diversification. I always talk about how important diversification is. And especially since I lost the ability to ride bikes at that point, um, what's, what's fun? You know, what else do you like? Do you like making art? Uh, do you like fucking making YouTube videos about shopping? Do you like uh, remote control trucks. I didn't have a remote control truck at that point, And I think that would have made my existence so much fucking easier. Um, but probably uh, would have expedited your divorce though, but I'm just <laughs> saying that, <laughs> uh, let's see, you know, I like, got really into building model cars for a little while. Mm -hmm. uh, that was super fun. Um, I don't know, you know, just like find that's sort of the danger of putting all of your eggs in one basket. Uh, you've got two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth, and two hands. Like, apply that to some other thing, whatever lights a fire under you. Yeah, yeah. Make the time uh, go by more quickly. I think, uh, I mean, I just lose my mind if I'm not, I, 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 I'm not a sitter, sitter stiller. And I can sit still better now than I could. And I think part of that, like, recognizing this stuff that's going on mm -hmm. is getting older and being able to sit still. I think the reason I, none of this shit occurred to me before is because I was going a hundred miles an hour all the time. I didn't stop to think about it. I didn't allow myself to think about it. Just go. What happens but, um, though? Like you've, you've experienced this now. What happens when you have to sit still, you know, are you going to come apart or are you going to channel that energy in a more productive direction? I mean, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to be positive. And what is the benefit of quote unquote maturity is that I, I know what that process is. I know like, okay, I'm hurt in some way. I know what the battle is going to be. It's going to be way more mental than physical. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what am I going to put my mind into? And I think, I think, Part of the bit, a big part of the challenge is that so many of us derive our self worth from productivity. Oh, like I did this work today, uh, whether I got paid for it or I value it for some other reason. But you, there's not a lot of um, value put on daydreaming or like, oh, it was the middle of the day. I read a book for three hours. No one is going to argue, I hope, that reading that book isn't a good use of your time but because it's not productive it somehow doesn't have value in the same way and so i think the biggest problem for me when i'm injured is like okay what am i gonna i have to do something physical you know if i sprain my ankle which i've done 100 times i've got to do something else with my body um i got to do something else with my mind and then i've got to be aware that not to fall into that productivity trap where like I'm a piece of shit because I didn't spend six hours grinding out work. Yeah. Because coupled with the lack of physical movement that like whatever those uh, digs you take at your own self-esteem when you're not productive or, or I do um, are just deadly. For sure. And I have, and I can relate to that, but I've also, I worked really hard at letting a lot of that stuff go and, and being okay with not doing fuck all sometimes, you know, we, we live in this <clears throat> society where your, your, your worth is somehow uh, equally ta attached to your productivity or yeah. your activity and um, uh, letting go of that and being able to, have a have a well day you know i mean even bare minimum just say i feel great and i'm not going to go to work today instead of yeah. running yourself into the ground and not being able to go to work because you've made yourself sick uh and just taking care of your own stuff and if some of your own stuff means being still and watching movies if that's what it takes to get recharged i'm all for it uh so to sort, I mean, the second part of the the, per, the first question is kind of part of the whole topic, 
uh, says when you've wrecked yourself, knee, collarbone, other, have you checked yourself? Um, alternatively, how long after you hurt yourself did you lose your mind? And how did you eventually get it back? Uh, when I was laying there in the woods by myself with my bike and not able to walk and actually dragging, I was on my ass, dragging my bike behind me, pushing myself backwards, and my right leg was just sort of dangling. And my first thought was of Gene Oberpriller. I don't know why, but he's always been sort of this canary in the coal mine for me. Like, if that, you know, like that guy has lived such a full life in terms of his, you know, his bike life and racing and traveling and and just really pushing the envelope, you know. And and then I th my second thought was, um, I've been playing this game of roulette for decades and I have been in the fucking depths of the backcountry by myself nobody knew where I was I've I've lived a pretty foolhardy existence and the fact that this has finally happened it's kind of come home to roost I feel pretty lucky you know like to feel lucky that this is how it happened and where it happened and and that dissipated in time, you know, when I was on the sofa for the second month. Um, but it's just, uh, I think, uh, maintaining perspective uh, is kind of how I kept my shit together. And like I said, it wasn't easy on my partner and it wasn't easy on me and I didn't make it easy on her. Um, but uh, patience... You got to be really patient with yourself. And I think that's the most important takeaway of how <clears throat> to to kind of maintain a handle on <clears throat> to maintain a handle on uh, losing your mind or not losing your mind and just kind of keeping your shit together. I agree. I, I agree. It's my biggest struggle, though, like telling me to be patient or to find patience or learn patience is like, go ahead, fly. Go on, go on, just do it. You just, uh, it's, it feels that hard. Um, it is in this, but this is a comment and I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupt you all the time, but if I don't interrupt you, I'll forget what I was going to say, but how would you treat if, if Brittany was injured, how would you be patient with her? Of course. If your kids were injured, would you be patient with them? Yeah, the dynamic is so fucked up. I mean, this sort of follows on from the uh, sh the show we did last week with Ashley from Cosmic Dirt. Is this like uh, uh, the struggle to accept yourself is massive? You know, like I can I can extend kindness and patience to my family, and I struggle to do that with myself, and I don't. I've thought about it a lot. I'm aware of it. I understand it's a gap. It's a problem. I don't know what the process is to get there. I mean, you know, I'm trying. I don't either. Keeping it in mind is a big piece of it, though. Yeah. I believe that sincerely is it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to figure out. And it's not going to be something that you'll be able to apply right out of the gate. But recognizing it and keeping that in your own mental conversation that's a huge first step i think that's really right i think that's really right and i think i think so i oh, i've talked about my depression before and I, I don't want i don't want people to think like that i'm moping around all the time and i'm like this maudlin person i'm i am just as ridiculous uh, in real life as I seem on this podcast probably like this is who I am but I just had these periods where I really like the wind just goes entirely out of my sails and I, th and I think part of the challenge here about patience and personal forgiveness is that sometimes when I let when I give myself too much leash I fall over the edge into depression and so I'm I'm sort of like afraid to give myself too much time and patience. I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's as soon as I, uh, not as soon, not really. but often if I indulge myself and say, oh, take a day off, take two days off, take three days off, you know, you hurt yourself, you got this going on, you got that. By the third day, I'm like eating, eating Pop-Tarts, like sitting in a pile of my own feces. Like I'm just, <laughs> I just go, I just go straight off the edge. Um, yeah. And I don't like that. I, I like to keep it, you know, kind of on the road. Uh, I have a real hard time with the with moderation and the middle way. Uh-huh. Uh <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. It's. I realize, like, as you're explaining this, that I just sort of laid this blanket, like, this is the answer, and this is how you do it. And I realize that that's different for everybody. Uh, it's a practice, and you're never good at something the first time out. I mean, I am. Uh, I'm one of those people. <laughs> He's good at everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to, you know, like, okay, well, this is something, like I said, you keep it in mind. Uh, the next time it comes up, you remember that and you try to apply the lessons that you learned or you taught yourself. You figured out the first time around to the second time around. And then the third time, it might be a little bit more fluid or maybe you'll completely fuck up and it'll be as more awkward than it would have been the first time out. Um, but I think this... This sort of self-acceptance or self, or just being patient with oneself and being kind with oneself is a really valuable piece to this whole puzzle. I I agree with you. And in reality, right? Like I'm 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 expressing these things dramatically, but in reality, like if I'm not feeling well, I'm aware. I'm aware of the dynamic. I'm aware, and that's a huge help. And then I'm like, oh, Steve, I feel like a piece of shit. And you're like, oh, no, buddy, you're doing just fine. I like, would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy, you need to bear down. <laughs> <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like me at all. You need to suck it up, buttercup. Champ. Uh, no, uh, but it is worth saying, like, actually, and I've done this before when I've had bad moments. You've checked up on me uh, and vice versa, so that's mm-hmm. good. But I think, actually, like, it's super important to communicate when you're struggling that's a big piece of it for me anyway like i can say to Brittany, my wife i can say like oh not doing well Uh and having her in on that helps even if she doesn't say anything yeah yeah uh and it's okay you know i'm saying this i'm thinking out loud here because i don't necessarily totally believe it um, but you, you, you know, if you don't have that one person to lean on, um, t- t- that you hopefully can trust your circle or your friends, your family or whatever, at least one person to pile that onto and say, I'm really not good and have them, you know, be there for you. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with really chronic and catastrophic depression is that you don't feel like you can do that with people. You don't feel like you've got the person that you can really lean into. Um, and so you're like, you know, you're, you just, that type of loneliness is, uh, is such a dark place. It's catastrophic. Uh-huh. It definitely is. There's a whole paradigm there where you feel guilty for dumping your shit on other people but that makes you feel worse and it just spirals. I think the biggest thing, the one of the major things about depression is that depression wants you to keep it a secret so it can con- continue to fuck you over. Oh, it's insidious, man. Yeah. It is really insidious. Uh, and, and I realize also that um, Oliver, who just sent this to me the other day, like this is very responsive service from the revolting podcast. <laughs> we didn't wait nine months yeah. to answer somebody's question. Yeah, he's running marathons and, like, (laughs) riding his bike to the moon again by the time we get to it. Um, I think he was sort of focused on, like, well, you know, I'm laid up for a little while. What do I do with my time? And we've embarked on this whole thing about mental health because, for me, every injury is a mental health crisis more than it is a physical health crisis. Like, there's definitely physical bits, and I struggle with the physical bits all the time, but it's a much bigger mental thing. I agree. And I think any I would wager to bet that anybody who is as physically active as we are would have a similar kind of uh identity crisis or or a chemical crisis or whatever. 
Yeah. Uh, and again, like so, that uh, sort of transitions pretty gracefully into the second question. Uh, put in a much fancier words, one of the things cyclists do is wrap their whole identity up with riding bikes. And then they, it, when they can't ride, they don't recognize themselves. And this leads to an existential crisis. How do you think of yourself independently of the various activities you do? And again, like for me, that's just diversification. Like I am not a cyclist. I'm not a mountain biker. I'm not a road rider. I'm not an artist. I'm not a skateboarder. I'm not a fucking RC nerd. I'm not, I'm not any of these things. I'm all of these things and, and allowing yourself. I don't know why it is that like, you know, people become, they get into bikes and it's just, it's, it's every, it's everything. It's who you are from top to bottom. It's what you do. It's your lifestyle. And you have collections of jerseys and photos of autographed, you know, Marzocchi girls or whatever the fuck. And you've got these like <laughs> trophy rooms and this is who I am. And this is what I do. And this is how I, this is how I identify myself. And I just don't think that I just don't think that's a very uh, sustainable directive. Yeah. So that's me. I mean, that's, that's I also, me. That's, I would also argue, um, and I'm not trying to yuck their yum, but I would also say it's really not that interesting. Oh, fuck. No, it's not. God, I don't like this. <laughs> I, I, I saw it. I think I've talked about this. I saw a picture of a guy that said uh, introverted, but willing to talk about cats. He's got a shirt that yeah. says introverted, but willing to talk about cats. And I was like, same, uh, but I will also talk about the corruption of the art industry and this thing and that thing. And that's it. And somebody was like, what about bikes? I was like, I don't give a fuck about <laughs> bikes. I mean, I like bikes, but it's not who I am and it's not what I want to talk about. Some of the greatest, most brilliant forever friendships in my life are founded, were founded in bicycles. But I could sit around, I know, you know, I know a dozen frame builders I could rattle off the top of my head. And if we were sitting around in a circle, bicycling or fabrication or design or any of that would be the last thing that we would discuss because our relationships are far more rich than, than just this thing that brought us together, which I love. I, I fucking love that my bike friends and I don't ever talk about bikes. I talk about bikes with my bike friends, but I talk about all kinds of things with my bike friends because they're friends. Yeah. They're not just bike friends. I don't have, I don't think I have just bike friends. Like, all we ever do or talk about is bikes. I don't, I mean, to go on like a three or four hour ride with somebody, that's why like, like random group rides where you just start going with people and you're like, and then you end up talking about bikes the whole time. That shit drives me crazy. But to be, I want to be with somebody that I want to be with. Like we can ride bikes together for hours, but we talk about everything else. Like our friendship is far broader or the commonality is far broader than just this thing that we're doing at the moment. Yeah. Or what brought us together to begin with. I mean, at root, I think I'm a slam poet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't That's believe who I am. We're 74 episodes in and we, we've only now talk, started talking about slam poetry. I've been dying to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe it took this long. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I've really been holding it in. Uh, so that that would be the best. My best advice is to diversify and yes. to uh, really investigate all of the complexities and all of the things that make you you. You know, maybe you're gonna. Maybe when this injury is done, Oliver is gonna be like, nope hog wild about competitive uh fishing yeah uh matt neary one of the founders of soulcraft i don't think that dude rides bikes anymore he got really into competitive fishing and i wasn't baits even thinking lures let's talk baits and lures <laughs> i wasn't even thinking about him when i made that uh analogy but gosh i mean look at uh maybe look at this downtime as as an opportunity to investigate the rich fabric that is life outside oh. of bike junk. 
I don't know. Maybe that's terrible advice. Print it. I like it. Don't listen Let's to me. Let's get to... We're, we're burning all kind of daylight now. People are starting to wonder what... You know, what they have to do after they get done listening to us. So let's do the would you rather. Take a dump. Yes. Would you rather eat a dozen boiled eggs a day, a la Cool Hand Luke, for a whole summer, or fill your water bottles with toilet water? Is this water from a bowl or the tank? Um, bowl. What? Does it matter? Oh, yeah. You don't shit Why does in the it tank. Matter? It's I mean, the same I don't know. Water. It's because there's bacteria in the bowl. There's not bacteria in the tank necessarily. I mean, gas station toilet. Which what, what whose toilet is this? This is your home toilet. Oh, I get to take it out of the tank. Um. Okay, you can take it out of the tank. What is this idiocracy? You put water on the crops, like from the toilet. <laughs> it's fucking water. Yeah, I would take. I would. I mean, <clears throat> eggs. Uh, it's. It's come out that eggs, the protein in eggs feed uh, potential cancer cells. Like, eggs are good for you, the protein or whatever, but it's not... I steer clear of eggs. I like them occasionally, but I don't eat that many of them. So I'm going to drink toilet water. Even if it was bowl? My what bowl? What if it was bowl? Can I clean my bowl before I get my water out? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you do a good job cleaning a toilet bowl. It's just porcelain, a porcelain bowl of water in it. I mean, I'm with you. I'm also going to go for the toilet water, but I don't <laughs> like boiled eggs. <laughs> I really dislike boiled eggs. I like eggs, but boiled eggs? Like cracked, with like hard-boiled? Yeah. Oh. People are crazy for them. Boiled eggs, deviled eggs. I'm not, I just... It's, egg salad? Egg salad sandwich is one of the... I can't... I, I, You know, I'm not a picky eater. I love all the foods, but egg salad sandwich? With little pieces of celery and pickles and stuff chopped up? Oh, oh. God, with some spongy doughy bread. Oh, that's yeah. so good. So good. You like that? It's funny because, like, uh, with breakfast, you might have, you know, a couple of eggs and toast or whatever. Your average person might... But then you go to a picnic and there's deviled eggs and uh, you just banged out like 10 eggs in a sitting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see people do that. They show up. Like if we have a potluck, which we often do at our place, our friends, our friends come over. I, I can't actually hang this on any of our friends, but I've been to other potlucks where someone shows up and is like, I've got the deviled eggs. <laughs> Ooh. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not to say that I won't. Eat a shit ton of deviled eggs or hard-boiled eggs if they're, like, laid out in front of me. But I don't go out of my way to eat eggs hardly ever. Oh. But I'm not opposed. I mean, I am opposed. I guess I am opposed. I guess I just said that. But I I still n knock them back if given the chance. I have... So I grew up in Alabama. And where I grew up, at some convenience stores and gas stations, there's a giant jar on the counter with pickled pig's feet in them. Or at least there were when I was growing up. I haven't been there for a long time. I've seen that. I've Looks eaten gross. the pickled pig's foot. Uh-huh. It's an interesting culinary experience. Gas station uh, pig's feet. Gas station pig's feet. I would rather eat a gas station pig's foot than a dozen boiled eggs. Dozen boiled eggs, though, would be... Uh, I mean, that's a, like, that's a lot of food in your stomach that's a lot I, of sulfur that's a I, lot of like <laughs> you're gonna be a problem <laughs> i suspect even with a clean toilet you, i mean there might be a little bit of bacteria but it'll probably just make you stronger i think i think a lot of times i i prep a water bottle or two water bottles for a ride i don't i probably don't need it i'm not going to work that hard and i think that's a good way to find out like if you want to know whether you need water on your ride or not you should considered that that water has to come from the toilet and you'd be like mm, i think i'll squeeze through this one <laughs> i think i'll go dry we are though as a society we are chronically dehydrated and to start rehydrating it takes upwards to like a month and you're supposed to drink what's recommended is you drink half your weight in ounces of water a day so being the svelte and uh, attractive 200 pounder that i am in this Adonis-like physique, uh, yes. I got to drink 100 ounces of water a day. And I've done it before, and I felt fucking great. My aches and pains went away. I was, like, watering the garden at 1230 at night, like, what do I do next? 
it was insane how good I felt. And even with that in mind, I still don't drink enough water. I try. I always start the day with water. I never drink as much as I should. I'm sorry. You've been telling me about water this whole time, but I keep thinking of your I body. So bad. You're like an ape brick. You're like a hairy brick of a human. I know. Like a, like a rectangle with hair on it. I know. I've always said that. I'm like a, like an, uh, what's the thing in uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? The obelisk? Oh, yeah. Obelisk? Obelisk. The monolith. The monolith. I'm a yeah. hairy monolith. You are <laughs> a, a handsome one. I don't want to, I don't want people to get the, I, I'm not trying to say that Steve was unattractive. I find him. Whew, same here. La. Same yeah. here. You can just tell by my voice. I am a dime. <laughs> fuck. All right. Uh, fuck it. It's uh, an hour, four minutes. Let's get the fuck out of here. Thanks for Ouch. listening to revolting. Uh, do us a solid and subscribe whenever you listen to podcasts and on the Cycling Independent. It's only $3 a month. Uh, we could use the help. And, uh, you know, as usual. Oh, two things. Uh, the intro and outro music is provided by our friends uh, Who Rides the Tiger. Uh, I've got some of their records left on the All Hail the Black Market website. And uh, what was the other thing? Oh, thanks to Shimano for continuing to take care of us. Yeah. So, on behalf of the Cycling Independent and the Revolting Podcast, I'm Steve-O. Don't forget to suck it.